the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Greg Fearon. He's the owner of Project Fit and former worker within the NHS. So welcome on to the show, Greg. Cheers, buddy. Looking forward to it. Should be fun. So before we delve into today's episode, Greg, can you give a little bit of an inside of view for the listeners, uh, something that you may or may have put on social media or may have not done for like a little gem. All right, cool. So I'll give you a rough, a quick background to me and then um, I'll give you some random thought about me that I've never told people, people don't know. So um, as you said, my name is Greg Fearon. Um, I own a fitness company primarily aimed at busy professional women um, called Project Fit. Um aiming to basically help women become strong, confident, and fit through science-based nutrition and training. Um, and yeah, prior to that, as you mentioned, I've worked as a manager in the NHS, a manager in Carphone Warehouse and the pensions regulator. So I've done the corporate stuff. So after uni um, and obviously college, I did like sports science and I did biology and chemistry and all that other stuff for my sins. Um, I went into the corporate world, um, which was good in some ways because it helped me learn about people and how to manage people. And then um, a few years ago, I went full time with my PT, um, although I've been doing it on the side for like 10, 15 years now. But finally decided to go, all right, let's just give it a go. Um, about about no, three years ago now, three years ago. So yeah, there we are. And do you think having worked in the corporate industry... It gives you, like you said, a better understanding of people, but do you think it gives you a better, better sense of knowledge? And this is probably where PTs, when they start out within the industry, you have more in common with the, the general pop- population than, say, maybe the, the normal quote-unquote PT that comes in, off the, I won't say off the street, but comes in from, they, they come into the profession because they like training. Yeah, I definitely think um, having spent some time in those kind of corporate environments, you you see the habits that people develop, um, how kind of all people kind of do the same things, um, kind of um, we follow each other along kind of thing. So, you know, if one person brings the flapjacks into work, then I guarantee you someone else is going to bring them into work next day. So, um yeah, I think seeing that environment, see how people don't move, um, the pains and the aches and the challenges they've got with them trying to get in shape when you're in that environment nine till five or nine till six or longer, as some people do, probably too long. Um, yeah, it gives me a really good insight into the kind of people that I work with as well. And, and I think this is maybe where, and you probably agree to some extent, people go wrong with not necessarily the, the, fit, the fitness aspect of it, but then nutrition because they overcomplicate it. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of 
classic myths and I think a lot of it is being perpetuated a little bit by the fitness industry so you've got the PTs that have probably grown up more through the gym and they've always loved sports who are all about the you've got to train five times a week go hard beast mode all that kind of stuff but for Shelley who sits in the office you know five days a week um has got you know a couple of kids maybe um family to look after hasn't trained for about 10 years of any formal exercise for 10 years that's quite daunting so then they think that also their nutrition needs to be perfect or needs to be a specific system in order for it to work um and a lot of that is marketing right you've got all these companies who are saying well you know you need to follow this this and this to lose weight because let's be honest most of my clients and probably some of the clients you've worked with have tried so many different branded diets um, and it hasn't worked or it's only worked for a short period of time um, and then so they think they need something very specific but from a lot of people first of all they need to just get some general principles and habits right um, and it works but that's how I like to work in simplicity I don't try to overcomplicate stuff so in terms of that, that actual method per se, Greg, what kind of analogy would you use to, to simplify that for the listeners in terms of you, you, we get the basis of most people have gone down the route of the branded stuff, but what could they do that is necessary in simple terms, something most people don't think about they it's it's that simple that you you disregard it because oh i've not thought about it because it, it, it why does it have to be that easy <laughs> oh dear i think well obviously a lot of that is made by marketing right so marketing makes it you got to do the special system that abracadabra will will fix it if you follow this system and only this system um because nutrition has become like religion nowadays um you know people People used to say, oh, I'm Christian or I'm Muslim, but now they're like, I'm vegan or I'm keto. So nutrition has now become a belief system almost, not a science system. But let's be honest, the main thing that I think most people, especially if trying to lose weight, is that we should eat too much. <laughs> Very simple. And we eat too much in terms of energy coming in, which is calories, as most people know. Um, and I think what people need to know is that every diet does the same thing. Every diet is just trying to get you to eat more vegetables, probably eat more leaner sources of protein, and reduce your starchy carbs a bit. If you look at every diet and you really analyze it, that's what every diet is trying to do. Um, and I think that's what people need to realize. And that's, that will make it more simple for them. Um, and if people you know, don't get caught up in the whole well, I can't eat carbs at this, this, and actually, you can eat carbs. You just need to probably not fill your bowl full of pasta so much. You might need to eat a bit less and have some more veg of it. Simple start, and that'll probably get some results. But what would you say to trainers that necessarily, oh, I saw a post not too long ago on Facebook from a trainer, when they poo-poo that idea of saying, oh, God, how did he word it? trainers that think of the you know old school way of carb carbs equal you know in terms of what you're talking about uh, carbs in carbs out mental what, what would you say to them because it, obviously it's trying to 
overcomplicate things in terms of what's the basis of, of it. If you can obviously reduce what you intake, <laughs> it, there's no one's. So I, so I, so his argument was, from my, my point of view, non and void. It's like, well, what's wrong with it? Looking at it from that way, if somebody's able to implement it, comprehend it, there's there's no there's not. I don't know why you have to overcomplicate it, but I think that's why those disagreements do arise. But what would you do? To, and kind of, it is a controversial question. Question when. Um, trainers go against one another but obviously with that being said i thought it was a super comment what, what in, ter- in terms of what is your thoughts on uh, that basis when people say well totally disregard this this actual thought process because they're, they're making it too easy uh, it's a hard one so i think first of all pts we need to kind of band together and stop all these stupid arguments most of the time um I think that's one big issue for people. They see PT on the left says this, PT on the right says this, and they're just going, oh. So they get confused um, about whose method is right when actually no one really owns the method of the human body, let's be honest. Um, But because of marketing and tribe building, we put a little name by it and we put little trademarks on. It's like, well, it's the Greg method now. Actually, it's not. It's just food. (laughs) It's just, you know, managing food. I think that's one thing. I think also there's science that shows pretty clearly that when calories are matched, no matter whether the diet was high protein, low fat, high to medium carbs, that actually fat loss or weight loss was the same in all of those instances. There's this study on that, which clearly shows it. And I think, I think the challenge is, is that we've got something where nutrition is actually fairly complex. But because we want to get the public involved in it, we make it as simple as possible. But then someone goes, well, actually, we know it's not that simple because it's, you know, you've got this and you've got that and you've got blood glucose and you've got all of this other stuff, post-workout carbs and the rest of it. We understand all that. But my clients that I work with don't need to know all of that. They pay me to make it simple for them. Um, and simplicity means that they can adhere to it, which is probably the biggest thing. So if we've got someone that can adhere to something for the rest of their lives versus someone who can only do it for three weeks because it's too hard, well, we know the winner is the person that's got the most simple diet and is winning. Simple. Um, I don't believe in making this too complex unless there is a need. Um, But I try and make everything as simple as possible. And often I get lots of grief from people because I make nutrition really simple, i.e., I'm going to try not to be too controversial, but let's take Herbal Life, for example, um, because I know there's a lot of people that sell it, etc. But it's seen as a magical, you know, formula that's going to strip fat. But ultimately, all it comes down to is if you have one protein shake at breakfast, one at dinner, uh, one at lunch and then you have a dinner, well, the chances are you're going to be about 800 calories. Everyone's going to lose weight on that. <laughs> so people hitch themselves to the idea of the diet working when actually they've just made a, a way and found a choice that helps them eat less food. That's it. The, free, the framework has given them the opportunity to eat less. Simple. So let's not make it more complicated than it has to be. 
But then coming on that notion of controversial things, Greg, then in terms of the actual byproduct of the actual Herbalife thing in itself, okay, you are in a caloric deficit. We are agreeing on that. But do you think this is where people are misinformed with the product itself because of the ingredients? Well, okay, you and I will be able to comprehend the ingredients, but because people take it as fact, face value from the marketing standpoint, this is going to make you lose X amount of weight in this time frame, and they don't look at the, the actual, I'm not going to say health risks, but obviously it's been in the press for the wrong reasons and, and I think in the last six months because it's, it, people have, uh, well, I don't know if it's it's fake news or something like that, but you probably could go into research in terms of looking at that, but in terms of the health risks associated with it, it's ha- generally higher in, from a protein perspective, higher in sugar than a normal whey, a whey, a normal whey protein shake. Yeah, I think obviously people don't necessarily care about the vehicle that gets them to losing, you know, five stone, six stone, two stone, whatever it is. Most people don't care. The challenge with that, I think, is that we often have these people that are aren't really trained in nutrition, um, you know, any behavioural science, science as well. So we're giving people a product that probably isn't the best, let's be honest, if you look at the ingredient list. And actually they could do the same with a normal whey protein at 20 quid rather than a Herbal Life or Forever Living pack at 150, 200 quid a month. But I guess that shows that people will buy it on emotion rather than logic. Um, and the line that we have to do is to help people understand the logical side behind their emotional choice. Um, and that's often why I get lots of grief because I'll call out those things and say, yeah, it's just a calorie deficit. <laughs> it's nothing special. Um, but I'm very much about educating my clients as to what calories mean and how energy impacts the body, what protein does because I believe that my clients should understand all of this stuff so that they can actually leave me and go and do this stuff for the rest of their life. Um, you know, I'd love to know that the success rates of most of these MLM products and see how many people are doing it for life. And I guarantee not many are. So. And do you, do you think that's why, and obviously we were talking about it off air in the run up to doing this, this recording, why you, you did that Facebook live in terms of looking at, calories based on looking at it i think what do you do on based on bank a, a bank or a yeah. oh, of course the analogy you used um checking account savings account from that basis can for the for the listeners can you give a little bit more context to beyond what i've described yeah i think one of the tools i, I the one of the ways i like to describe it is again i'm about making this nutrition stuff as simple as possible um because it's a complex it's a complex um, thing that happens right but i just explained it as this let's say james i give you um seventy thousand pounds to spend for the week you can spend that 75 yeah yeah i know you'd like that <laughs> yes please <laughs> here you go let me just get out of my pocket if i say to you right you've got seventy thousand to spend you can either spend that as ten thousand pounds across the week every day or you can say, well, I know I need to buy something really expensive, i.e. I'm going to have 
a big meal out one day. So what I'll do is I'll save a little bit of money on the Monday. So maybe on Monday I'll only spend 5,000. And then on the Thursday, I know I'm going to have to spend a bit more. So I use that 5,000 from that day and move it over here. As long as I don't spend more than 7,000 pounds, uh, 70,000 pounds per week, everyone's a winner. Um, because that loss comes over across a week, not across just one day. Um, and I think we need to get our clients to understand that, that fat loss is a seven day thing, not just a, oh, I had a chocolate bar on one day. Oh my God, diet starts again Monday. And I think that's the mentality we need to get people out of as much as possible. So that's why I use that bank analogy, that savings account analogy as a way to get people to understand that. But what would you do when the argument does arise in terms of the person from using the bank analogy? It's very much about tracking. What, what do you do when the scenario arises? The person either has a difficult time getting their head around it and being able to do it over a period of time, be it they don't particularly like my, my fitness powers, the obvious one of choice, but those sorts of apps and not necessarily wanting to do that. In terms of what would you have somebody do from that perspective to be able to relate the two models together? Okay, um, so there's a couple of things really. Um, there's a million ways you can do this. You can do it, so many ways. So um, I've got a client now actually, she's got 11 inches off her stomach over the last 10 weeks or so. Um, and she's doing awesome. She's doing fab. She's not tracking her food at all. So I explained it to her in the terms of, well, what I got to do, first of all, I got to do a little test. So what I want you to do is for the next couple of days, for the first three days of working with me, before you eat your favorite chocolate bar or your favorite can of Coke, just read the label and just tell me what, what it brings to your mind about that. So she was starting to read the labels and she was like, oh my God. You know, I used to drink three cans of Coke a day. And I said, okay, cool. So what number did that add up to? And she's like, oh, well, it came up to like a thousand calories. And I said, well, hold on, see, a thousand calories there and you haven't even included your dinner and stuff. So can you understand why you're actually intaking too much energy and why you put on weight over how many years, months or whatever? And she was like, yeah, do you know what? It's actually crazy. I've, I've actually just realized. And now she drinks more water. Oh my God, I've just realized what's on my TV. Whoever's <laughs> <laughs> watching this, by the way, it's a program called Warrior. Um, let me turn that off. I didn't realize. <laughs> program called Warrior. That's brilliant. Um, it's on Sky One, so don't, don't judge me. My dad was watching it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've just made your podcast, uh, hopefully, a high rated one. Um, oh, that's genius. Rich is going to love that. Right. <laughs> Where was I? So, yeah, so she's lost this, like 11 inches in, in this time. And what, what I tried to do to was get her to be aware of the food she was taking in. Um, and I kind of gave her foods on a bit of a axis, yeah? So you've got um, high-calorie, low-nutrient foods. And on the other end, you've got um, high-nutrient, low-calorie foods. And I just said, vegetables are on that side, junk food's on that side. Let's start eating more on this side and eat much less on this side. So it didn't say that you have to stop, 
and then we set some rules. So, you know, week one was like, right, I want you to start eating two portions of veg a day. Boom. Um, and that way she wins. And she was like, she was messaging me going, Greg, I've eaten two portions of veg. I feel good. I'm like, right, can we do this tomorrow? Yeah, awesome. Cool. Off you go. Carry on. So it empowers her to, to get it done. And then coming back to that point that we talked, um, we'll enjoy this bit of a controversy for this episode because it's, it's a different one. In terms of your opinion, because you want to call out, be it those brands that are necessarily playing on people's emotions, I would probably go as far as probably that quick buck kind of mentality to 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 get people in from it from from a selling perspective. What is your take on from an, a performance and athletic standpoint now? From be it there or go at the brand, the brand called CR Seven, be it you know the Cristiano Ronaldo portion of it. What what is your take on that? Be it obviously, I would assume, and you probably agree to this. He doesn't probably take that product himself. I would be very surprised if he did. What what is your stance on? be it marketing athletes for a product that's not necessarily going to do anything from a performance standpoint? Um, I think it's the way of the world. Unfortunately, people are trying to make money. You know, we've, we've all got bills to pay. Um, I get that. I think it's just whether you do it from an ethical place or not. Um, so, for example, Ronaldo has a brand. He's in great shape. He will sell any product. You put Ronaldo in it, he'll sell a product. It's not rocket science serena williams is probably another one i love serena but you know you, you if you put booty with her she'd be like she'd sell it itself my for me um i just have to be ethical about it i mean generally i mean i won't even ask, i won't even tell my clients to get protein shake if i don't think they need one i want them to get into good habits because i believe that people as i said before people can do it themselves they just have to have a bit more belief um, and my coaching is about giving them the belief that they can make good choices and they can enjoy their foods, but not overindulge. Um, so mine's more about a, a lifelong approach rather than just sell this because it will make me some money. Um, I guess that's why I give out lots of free content, right? So I'll be honest, I think most people could probably get really good results if they just took in the content that I give for free. Um, and actually applied it. But what I found is that people often don't value free. So I have knowledge, I have skill, and if you want me to, if you want to invest and work with me, awesome. I hope you get there. However, if you don't feel you're ready to invest, awesome. There's lots of free content out there in the world. I'm not going to sell a milkshake or some tea, and you'll you'll get results anyway. You raise a good point there, Greg, in terms of the, the way protein uh, as um, obviously I think where this is where people get misinformed in terms of I need to use it as a vehicle to facilitate my protein. Whereas I think the only argument I would say for that would probably males more specifically because the protein uh, amount that they're going to require generally be it when you're starting out, you're going to struggle to be able to get it from all your meals because it's more difficult. And then obviously when people turn around and say, well, where do I get it from? Well, go to there. That's why it's called a supplement. It's an addition. But in terms of when it comes from a female perspective, 
and you say you don't necessarily signpost people towards it unless they need it. Is that more specifically, be it from a recovery standpoint for, for, for training purposes then? Um, honestly, I think it comes down to the market that I work with. So I guess most of my clients aren't going to be kind of athletes at the minute training six, seven times a week. They're going to be mainly mums who are working, got two or three kids, whatever, and they're going to be busy. However, I want them to work with what they've got first before we start jumping onto having protein, etc. Um, and I think it's at that stage, and that's where you have to look at the individual, because I think everyone's an individual in that respect. There are basic guidelines for everybody, but you have to look at the individual and assess whether they really need it. Um, because often, like you say, having a whey protein is a is a proxy for not doing the things that they actually really need to do, often. So, for example, um, you know, instead of having an extra bit of chicken, they'll fill their carbs with a plate of carbs and go, oh, I can't get my protein in. Then <laughs> you're like, well, let's have a bit more chicken breast. Oh, yeah. You know, after having a conversation about having a whey protein, which they don't really need. Um, so I'm all for working with the tools they've got and take advantage of everything in the environment first before we go, let's start supplementing. But would you use it as, I won't say a last resort because that's probably too strong, but in terms of a additional support, be it to somebody that is well either less inclined to have breakfast or is somebody that is more inclined to fast, you know, in terms of that, be it that they want to have something at breakfast time, would you then, I won't say push it, but, but be say that's an option? Yeah, I will give it as an option. I would maybe say, ask the question, let's say you're that person, James, and you're saying, well, Greg, I don't really have breakfast, so I'll miss an opportunity to get protein. I'm like, okay, awesome. What's the, what's the first time you're going to eat? You might say, I don't know, 12 o'clock. What's going to be in that first meal? Oh, I don't know, I might have a croissant or something. Okay, perfect. What could we change that croissant to to make it a higher protein meal? Yeah, rather than go straight to the whey protein, let's look at the behaviours that person's doing that's going to prevent them from getting that goal. So let's get a higher protein yoghurt, first of all, with some fruit maybe as your first meal, rather than the croissant. There you go. So just because you didn't have breakfast, didn't mean you couldn't get protein your first meal. And, and do you think also this, this idea that, well, I must have breakfast, I must have, I think some people are starting to move away from it a little bit by becoming a little bit more informed, but in terms of, you know, that, that because of a marketing standpoint, having to have cereal for breakfast. Yeah, so I think I, I talked about this because I, I managed to get on Harrow Radio. They let me loose on Harrow Radio recently. Um, crazy people. And they're talking about the whole breakfast thing. And like the other day, I had some chicken for breakfast. I was hungry. I just went from my morning clients. I went to have some breakfast. And I saw some chicken from the night before. Microwave heated up. Bam, had some chicken. And I said that to my clients. They're like, what? You can't have chicken. I said, well, why not? You know, your body doesn't actually realize, it doesn't really care too much whether your, your first bit of protein is from milk or is from chicken or turkey or or tempeh or tofu, it doesn't really care. 
all he knows is he needs to get nutrients in his first meal. So I think Kellogg's did a great number on us, especially in the 90s, going, you know, you had to have your slow-releasing carbs, you had to have breakfast as the most important meal of the day. Because if you ask most people, they'll say that breakfast has to be tea, toast, bacon, eggs, or cereal. Pretty much. If I said have a bit of chicken, oh my God, I can't have that. Well, why not? <laughs> but we've, we've been marketed to so heavily. If you think about it, what, what were they saying in school? What do you have for breakfast? Well, cereal, miss. What do your parents have for breakfast? Cereal. So we got marketed so heavily by the milkman and Kellogg's that actually we don't realise we can have other food for breakfast. Um, and I think actually to try and get people to play with that a bit more and go, actually, yeah, I can eat something. Nothing's going to happen to me. It's all well, you, you say chicken. Um, I think the first time I'd seen it, and I'm, I'm kind of, oh, I'm going to say to a certain extent, I think from memory's sake, I was a bit alarmed. Uh, it was my strength and conditioning coach. Oh God, when I've been in the volleyball team about seven years ago, having a steak for breakfast. And obviously the rest of us having um, cereal because like you were saying, we're acclimatized to that and it's and people will call her out on that. Why, why are you having, having steak for, for breakfast? Why not? But obviously from a training perspective, she was saying, it's the first bit of, pro- bit of protein in the day, whereas we're having to say something that's going to probably make you lethargic a little bit, or at least later on in the, in in that period of the day. Yeah, and you're less like if you've got some something filling, you're less likely to go and snack again, aren't you? <laughs> so, as we know, things with a kind of a high glycemic load generally tight. You eat them, and the next thing you know, oh, like right, what can I have? What can I eat? I know that if I eat pasta, for example. Within about 20 minutes, I'm like, I need something else to eat because it just doesn't fill me up. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just really weird. And however, rice does me all right. Um, but yeah, I think we've. I think what's happened is, is we've got so locked into these these kind of ways around food. You know, you can only eat foods at a certain time, and a lot of it has been marketing to us, um, and marketing has, has killed us. So we have all these norms. And I guess the question is, is your strength and conditioning coach was at the top of his or her game and studied a lot. But all the normal people were eating cereal. <laughs> do, do you see what I mean? Do you see how that works? Yeah, I can see that. It was, it was... I'm not saying that you have to have steak or chicken for breakfast, by the way, but I'm just saying that well, I had no problem with having to get my head around to, to be it from a, when somebody said, oh, if you want to lose weight, you have chicken and be it. I, most of the things that I give to my clients, I've tested beforehand. So be it having ch- chicken in for or, or fish for breakfast. Yeah. It was a bit weird at first, but it's like, okay, a couple of days go by and he's like, well, okay, I'm, I'm seeing results. Okay. Oh, oh, it's, it's normality. And, um, I know people have kind of said oh, uh, some of the, not, I wouldn't say an objection, but be it the queries that you'll get back. Is your thing set out for, is it missing? Uh, what's the best one I've had? Is it missing breakfast? The, the plan? 
It's like, no, it says meal one, meal two, meal three, meal four. So meal one is breakfast. But, but, I, but I think because they see it as, what have I written it down as, be it um, dark meat, uh, light fish, and be it from those prerogatives, people assume, okay, it's meat. Oh, there, there mustn't be breakfast. And it's like the idea that you talk about. Exactly. It's just first meal of the day. Um, and that's the thing. I think we've got into this habit of labeling everything, like literally everything, especially around nutrition, has a label. Like every way of eating has, has a name. So keto is actually, was actually Atkins a few years back. Um, and then even then predating that, keto was often used as a way for surgeons to get people to lose weight really rapidly. So they can get them into surgery. So actually what we're selling now is this really low carb diet, which actually the people from Alaska probably were the first ones to do it, right? Because there's not much plant food around there. <laughs> so they were doing it first. The Alaskans missed out on selling something. Um, but because if you put a label on something, it's now become this belief system. So people have these beliefs around food that are so ingrained in culture um, that they they struggle to get out of them, actually. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it, the mind boggles, but it's conditioning. And obviously, a lot of the time, we have to start to uncondition people. And as you said, it's meal one. Like, it's just a meal. It's just food. Have some vegetables, have some protein, have a little bit of fats, and have some carbs. It doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> In the right portions, right? You could, you could say, have some milk for your protein. Yeah, you can chuck in a bit of whey if you want to. Have some, have a, you know, a couple of shreddies, bits of shreddies, that's your carbs. Done. That's a meal. Or, have a chicken leg, some rice, and some broccoli with it. Hey. <laughs> well, I think it does. I think it does come down to mindset. It's, it's, I think because, uh, I think, more people I think willing to probably change their their belief system, their thought process, their perception and how they perceive things, probably more open minded to, to okay, the way I've done it in the past has worked, like you said, for a be it a minute portion of time. What have I got to lose by doing it this way and having the guidance along the way and, and, and willing to at the end of the day, be it yourself, me, uh, coaches we work with, be that's all they're interested with at the end of the day is the result. I don't care if you put it uh, in a package with a nice bowl around it. As long as it gets me the, the result at the end of the day, they, they're not fussed. So it's, I think it is educating people to be obviously realistic, to be, okay, you want to lose this amount of weight. What is the time frame that you're looking at? Okay, this is maybe a little bit unrealistic in a time frame that you're looking at. But by all means, okay, from a goal setting perspective, there's nothing wrong with being prolonging your long term goal beyond six months to say, well, I want to do this in that in that time frame, and that's the overall guiding factor. But obviously, as you know, that's gonna that's gonna change throughout the process because the, the the actual 
connection towards the goal is going to change because you're going to see start seeing results and the actual shift in, I would say, mindset and orientation towards things is going to differ. Whereas it's trying to educate people to okay, that was your goal. I'm not saying it's going to change, but have the open mindedness to, to be uh, of the notion that, okay, I may have to reevaluate and be it push the bow out even further and be, be a little bit more, I won't say harsh, but be it to keep me, to keep me on track, keep me motivated uh, to, to strive to things and be it, give them a little, the nuggets that they got to kind of tick off on a, on a weekly basis. Like you're talking about having two portions a day and do it from those, like the small wins and look at it from that basis. And you, and you touched upon it a little bit, Greg, with, with, it's not necessarily athletes that you work with, but I think you will agree with this this um, quote in terms of an athlete is a, is a mindset. It's 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 preparation, execution, and things like that. Whereas I think I think the general populace do put athletes on pedestals from that basis. It's like, well, oh, I can't I can't relate myself to that because what they are achieving. I can't be able to implement. Whereas if you think of it from that basis, well, everybody can pre- pre- prepare, execute and, and get things right. It's just at a lesser degree. Well, is there a lesser degree? I think because what's important for, I don't know, Serena Williams is going to be, is going to be maybe different to, Shelley from down the road. Sorry, it's one of my favourite characters. But it's just as important to Shelley. So it's just as important for Shelley to be able to run around with her kids as it is for Serena to win Wimbledon, right? They both have equal importance. Um, and also I think what... I think it's something we talked about with Rich, actually, um, mm-hmm. recently, that often we have to do the things that the normal people won't do. Um so if you look at successful people generally, they'll go through that, okay, goal, do the work, review, change direction, whatever. Um, but I think we, we, as just the average general population, if we did that more, we'd probably get closer to our goals than we realise. But like I say, it's a mindset switch. Um, because look, we're made up of our own stories. We're made up of our failures what we get told at, at school, at home especially. Um, you know, someone said something to us when we were six years old and we clung on to that for the life of us. Oh, you know, Greg, you'll never be this or you'll never be that. Um, but maybe if I'd been coached from a younger age by, you know, someone who kind of knew their stuff, why can't I done being as successful as other people? What's to stop me now? But I think, that's what separates people who are successful in whatever they do, whether that be running a million pound, billion pound company or just actually getting to their goals from a weight loss or fitness kind of view is how you look at that self-talk um, and approach that. But do you think the un- undertones of that, Greg, is built on, and, and this is something you, you, you talked about when we discussed it on Monday and I, and I, and I punched it to put in a pose, be it from that, that mentality of FOMO in terms of fear of missing out. And do you think that is why people connect or disconnect from this belief that they can succeed 
because their fear of missing out on what in case and quote is actually the the norm, not being able to step out of do it being abnormal in the sense and doing stuff that the six more people that are going to become successful do because they want to do it. Well, I think there's a couple of things, isn't there? So the, you know, there's stuff that's out there that says, um, you know, the brain wants to keep you in a safe place. Right. Um, so you'll tell yourself stories about why you can't do this, why you can't do that. Case in point, right? So got a message from a client last week, or this week, shall I say, and I've been really focused on this week about trying to manage my sleep and my rest. Um, and normally I don't respond to messages, but I saw this one and I noticed that she, in her recent check-ins before, she'd be talking about tightness and stress. So... I can't remember what she messaged me, but I messaged back going, well, what are you doing? You shouldn't, shouldn't be going to sleep. And she went, yeah, but I've got, got to watch Love Island. Now, we all know that, especially nowadays, TV is recorded, so you can watch it anytime. But the fear of missing that event of Love Island, that episode, the fear of not being able to talk about it with your peers the next morning because you haven't watched it, means that she won't now go to sleep until she's watched it, even though what her biggest challenge is stress and sleep. <laughs> it's crazy. We, we, so we do things to fit in with the social norm so we don't stick out. Um, but then we keep the, un, the unhappiness that comes with it, with it. So what a good friend of mine um, is an awesome coach, knows his stuff, but he basically said to me, well, if what you're doing now isn't working, then do the opposite. But most people won't do the opposite for fear of failure, fear they can't do it, fear that's not what they should do. Um, for example, saying no to, to nights out or just things that don't serve them. Um, how many times do you have clients who are like, oh, I'm knackered, I've had three parties in a row. And I was like, well, why don't you just say no to one of them? Oh, I can't do that, it's really rude. Well, there's a choice, right? The choice becomes either you're knackered for your work, your friends and family, or you go out and please this person because you don't want to feel like they're going to be upset. But I think if you rang them and said, look, I'm actually cream crackered. I'm going to miss this one. They'd probably be okay. But we're so worried about upsetting other people um, that we don't benefit ourselves. Well, I think that I think that's a good argument, and and, and you saying it from you obviously got to say uh, say to people no, because at the end of the day, which is more paramount, you you making other people happy or self care? Or, or obviously, I'll go to the extreme and say self preservation, which which I think going from those extremes, people will probably look at it. Well, do I make somebody else happy? Yeah. Or do I or do I want to? build on what, what we're actually designed to uh, from a prehistoric sense of survival, which are you going to pick? You're going to please somebody or you're going to look after yourself. And that's ultimately though, that's partly culture, right? Because you get told things like don't stand out, you know, don't be selfish. Um, but then we have all these people who are not happy about their fitness, their health, their relationships but we put a mask on it. We're like, oh no, that's okay. I'll just carry on until, until 
the doctor says, oh, you've got diabetes or until you get an injury, until there's enough pain to change the situation, then you go, oh, sugar, I better go and get myself checked out or go and get sorted or start training or start going to a class or whatever. So, yeah, we're kind of strange like that. We know what to do. We know how to do it generally. But it's only until the pain or the realisation hits that we go, sugar, I need to do something about this. Well, I think that's where people get it wrong in terms of the, the mental, the, obviously their mental health. It's they like to put a bandage over it. You can't see the wound. So this this notion of uh, on the BBC did a documentary um, quite recently. I I did what what you said in terms of I, I watched the recorded from iPlayer, so I don't know when it was actually on television. But in this notion of from looking at from post-traumatic stress, um, this sort of it's probably the most extreme case of mental health uh, and probably the most talked about. But the notion that people are either shying away, masking their actual true selves and actually pushing things under the carpet isn't it, is doing themselves no favour because you, you're... Has I think they actually spoke to somebody within high up within the military of defence in terms of it's 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 cultured, be it that was the way of it had to be within, I won't say predominantly the male part of society, but I think now because be it females can go into the military, women are on equal footing with men. They have more sense to talk about their feelings to a certain extent because obviously they're going to have their peers but they're going to try and oh, um, compete to a certain extent be it like males whereas males will will hide some of the truth because it's like well if I show weakness it, it doesn't help me out whereas it's not doing nobody any favors because you're just pushing something under a metaphoric rug and everybody can envision what I'm talking about. You start sweeping rubbish under uh, a rug over a certain amount of time. Sorry, that mound's gonna become bigger. What happens? You trip over it. So because you can't see it subconsciously, it's still there. Um, we've done strategies with, with Rich in terms of talking about back or I'll call it baggage because it's to a certain extent it is. It's stuff you've not dealt with in the past. And obviously this has made you the person you are today because you've not dealt with it. And I think sport is probably the biggest, to a certain extent, from from my perspective, uh, a massive one because you're told to be stern-faced in certain circumstances. So you will mask things like that. So you'll be, oh, I'll, I'll deal with that when it comes time to it, be it probably, at, in most cases, at the end of the career, and that'll be years down the line. And what, you'd probably be better served hitting it on the nail there and then. It probably medium-sized problem. Small one, you probably would look to resolve it there and then because you wouldn't have a problem with it. But those small, medium to big ones, you'll you'll put it to one side. Oh no, I don't want to deal with that now. I'm going to carry on. Yeah, I think um, I think it's, it kind of comes down in in so, in, especially in the world that I I work, we work in. Um, you know, how many times have I had people come to me and go, "I want to just lose a bit of weight," 
as an example. And often the trigger is actually they go to the shops and they can't get into whatever clothes they want to get to. But actually the biggest issue probably is actually how that's impacting them from a physical, uh, a mental point of view, i.e. their confidence, their ability to go out and get another job, the ability to be intimate with their partner, the ability to play with their kids. And I think we, we have this issue where we won't, we don't want to just open up and stuff because we want to, like you said, we want to hide it. Um, but I think often if the more that we can get out the stuff from under the rug, start dealing with it, we become better people. Um, and I think that's where, you know, like I've invested with Rich, you have as well. Um, and people go, oh yeah, but it's expensive to get a personal trainer. Yeah, but what value can you put on, you know, being healthy, not having diabetes or aches and pains every day or being into a partner or being able to run around the kids or doing whatever you want to do in life. Um, how, how can you put a price on that? You can't. Um, and that's why people, I think, should invest in a coach in certain aspects of their life, whatever that is, or a mentor, whatever. Um, but people are strange. would rather pay out for a, a Louis Vuitton bag um, but then say we don't value our fitness and health until we get hurt or something happens. People are strange. Well, it's a trauma, isn't it? It takes hitting rock bottom to realise the, the value of probably uh certain well obviously that that's very poignant in terms of your health it's you've only got one of them so it's it does put things into perspective when you do hit uh, a speed bump in the road and you kind of go okay i didn't take things for granted i've kind of gone off the beaten path so to speak in terms of what i'm doing here uh, what do I need to do? I don't like where I'm I'm heading, and in terms of, or I don't like where I'm at. And obviously, it it does take time to rebuild that. And then you talk about confidence. I think this is probably where people get misinformed from the, that perspective. They they talk about you know lacking confidence. You can't lack anything. You you've lost you've lost it, but you you've never. It's not it's not per se non-existent it was you did have confidence at one particular time you just lost it be it uh for a person for a certain perspective due to whatever you you've done be it the language you're using towards yourself be it you've taken on board that toxic environment and it's and it's weighing heavily on you and you, you do lose your confidence or be it the health perspective, you've, you've let yourself go. I'm, okay, that's an extremely saying that, but it's, a, it's what, one of those t- cues that has lost you that that confidence in yourself. It's it's not gone. It's not it's not gone anywhere per se. You just have to rediscover it. Yeah, and I think a big element of this is actually trusting yourself a little bit more. I think um, it kind of goes back. You know, we talk about the whole diet pills and the shakes and stuff and people put the belief and actually it's it's in themselves that actually any action can come from any result comes from what you do um really good book for most people is um the success principles by jack canfield awesome book but there's a bit where it talks about responsibility for your results um and i think the one thing that i've learned maybe over the last few years especially is that i'm directly responsible for the results that i that i 
have out in the world. And yeah, there's been times when I haven't been so confident about certain things, but do you know what? JFDI, just get it done, see what happens. Um, and I think we, if we can get more people to take that attitude, um, people will be a lot more successful. But I think that's our job as coaches to help people become that bit more and just try things, see what happens. Do the science experiment that you used to do at school. <laughs> Try it. If it explodes in your face, well, you're not going to do that again either. There's another way. So, Mike, and I think you probably hit the nail on the head there, but I'll ask it you anyway. If you had to challenge or get somebody to change their inner belief system, how would you get them to do it? Whew. That's a hard one. I think the first step is really just to get someone to make a micro commitment. Um, so for example, I've got some of my clients to go on a climbing walk, you know, indoor bouldering, because they know I love it. And I try and make them do it all. They don't have to do it. It's not a prerequisite of working with me. But I just get them to go onto the wall. Just just do the first couple of, and they're like, oh, okay, it's all right. You do another bit. Hey, watch, a, watch a, a child start to walk. What happens? Couple of steps and they hold on to something. Couple of steps, hold on before you know it, and they just carry on. Um, so I think it's about making micro-commitments. There are times when um, I've really struggled to get, to get in the mood for training. So I make the micro-commitment that I'm just, gonna go, I'm just gonna go to the gym. And I'll just sit there and watch people. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, right, I'm here. Do you know what, let me just do something. So I think the more people can make micro-commitments to things, then the big commitment comes. So yeah. And my final question to you, Greg, before we wrap up the episode, if you were to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, oh. what would that be? Whoa. We've covered a lot of ground here, mate. Um, you know what? I'll say this. JFDI. Um, and I hope you don't mind me swearing, but just... I can do it. I think we, we're around on Earth not that long, actually, when you think about it. And the only, the, the only way we really learn is through failure. And I think people, most people who've had the most failures probably end up with the most success. So, yeah, make more failures and you'll learn how to make things more successful. So there we go. So once again, Greg, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. My pleasure, my pleasure. Enjoyed it, thank you. Oh, the pleasure has been all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Greg and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at Greg Project Fit UK and at James O Roberts 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And once again, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co uk forward slash free dash resources make sure to check that link out the link will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general so once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you next week for another episode of the mindset athlete podcast